My name is Wade. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, I believe in God, the Father Almighty. And maybe you do as well. And today we're going to talk about God. We're going to read God's word today. Uh, Our text is Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 32 through 43. This is in your bulletin. Let's read together. For ask now of the days that are past, which were before you. And ask from one end of heaven to the other, whether such a great thing as this has ever happened. The voice of a God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard and still live. Or has any God ever attempted to go and make a, take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, and by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and by great deeds of terror, all of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes. To you it was shown Tim. Out of heaven he let you hear his voice, that he might discipline you. And on earth he let you see his great fire, and you heard his words out of the midst of fire. And because, because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them, and brought you out of Egypt with his own presence, by his great power, driving out before you nations greater and mightier than yourselves, to bring you in, to give you their land for an inheritance, as it is this day, Know therefore today and lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. There is no other. Today, that it may go well with you and your children after you and that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God is given, giving you for all time. Verse 41. Then Moses set apart three cities in the east beyond the Jordan that the manslayer might flee there. Anyone who kills his neighbor unintentionally without being at enmity with him in the time past, he may flee to one of these cities and save his life. Bezer in the wilderness on the tableland for the Reubenites, Ramath in Gilead for the Gadites, and Golan in Bashan for the Manasites. This is the word of God. I'm going to quote to you the word of God from the very beginning in Genesis In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. This, these are the words to the Bible. The Bible begins with this truth. And so do our very lives. If you're a Jesus follower, you should know at the very foundation of your life is the fact that in the beginning, God... And if you're not, if you're still exploring the Christian faith, you should know that this is also true of you. You did not come about by chance. You did not, you do not exist untethered from an objective, an objective reality. And for you too, your story begins with God. In the beginning, God. And if you're familiar with the book of Genesis, you know the rest of the sentence. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I want to uh, take apart this sentence. I'm not preaching on Genesis 1, but I want to take apart this. I want us to look at this sentence as a framework for us to think about the rest of our our text today. 
in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There is the subject, which is God. There is the predicate, which is created, and the object, the heavens and the earth. I want us to keep the contents and, stru- and structure of Genesis 1, verse 1 in mind, because they provide the framework for us to think about our passage in Deut- Deuteronomy 4. In Deuteronomy 4, God is the subject. The works of God are the predicate, and the people of God are the object. We're going through the book of Deuteronomy, and over the past few weeks, Pastor Michael and Pastor John and I, we've looked at what's being communicated in this, in this chapter. The Israelites have been rescued from the land of slavery, Egypt, and they're told to worship their God. They're told to obey the Lord. They're forbidden to practice idolatry. They're commanded to pass on the faith to future generations. And today's passage is a reiteration to obey God. And it's a call to obey God in response to what God has done for his people. Why should the people of God obey him? And why should you obey him? Why should you deny yourself? Why should you let something go or why should you pick something up? Why should you go love that person that you don't love or reject that position that you want so much? Why do you do these things? Because in the beginning, God, because God is God, the Lord Yahweh is God and God has worked on behalf of his people And he's done mighty deeds for them so that we would live, so that they would testify of the greatness of their God, so that their lives would be a response to the greatness of Yahweh, of the Lord. So the question before us is, why should I obey? Why should you obey? My goal for us this morning is for us to think about who God is and what he's done for us. And if that is true, how should we respond so just two points to today's message. Uh, number one, the works of God. And number two, our response to the works of God. Our response to the works of God. So our first point is this. Um, the works of God. When I was a kid, I collected baseball cards. And if you grew up in the 80s and 90s, you, you might remember that sports cards were a big deal back then. And I had albums full of baseball cards. And the thing I looked forward to the most when I was a kid was when they would take me to the comic book and um, sports card shop and I would spend uh, like an hour there just looking at all the comics and all the baseball cards and I would look at the baseball card magazines and my most treasured cards were the cards of my two favorite baseball players back then uh, Will Clark of the San Francisco Giants and Mark McGuire of the Oakland A's and I had these cards in the plastic sleeves and they were always at the front of the binder because those were the cards that those were the players that I loved the most. Um, if you're not familiar with baseball cards, let me give you a, a little description of them. On the front of the card is a picture of the athlete in action, and if you turn it around, there are the stats of the athlete, the how, how long they've been playing, how many um, strikeouts they had, or how many home runs have they had, how many base hits, uh, their height, their weight. And I would pour over the stats of these cards because just as a kid, I was bored. I knew the stats of all the players. Um, I knew what they looked like. 
But did I really know what they were like just from looking at the baseball cards? I didn't. But I was fortunate to attend baseball games. If you remember Candlestick Park, the San Francisco Giants and the 49ers, they used to play at Candlestick Park. I remember going to Candlestick Park for the very first time and seeing my hero, Will Clark, in action. Finally, the stats came alive. The picture that I saw came alive. And then the Oakland Coliseum uh, with their $1 hot dogs on Wednesdays. I got to watch Martin McGuire play. Martin McGuire came alive when I saw him in person, when I saw him hit the ball with his baseball bat. There's a way you can know a baseball player. There's a way you can know, know a baseball player. And what about our object today? What about God? What's he like? We have the written revelation of God, the scriptures. This provides us an objective view of who God is. This is so important. But there's more to that. There's what God has done for his people. In his book, Knowledge and the Doctrine of God, um, John Frame, the Christian uh, philosopher, epistemologist, he says that there are three types of knowledge. There are three ways that we can know something. Number one, there is the normative knowledge, the knowledge of God. And this is how we know God through his self-revelation, through nature, through the scriptures, through Christ. There is the existential knowledge. This is the knowledge of self. Um, This says that true knowledge of yourself only comes through knowledge of God. And knowledge of God only comes through knowledge of self. And as we get to know God and his law... We know ourselves better. So we can ask ourselves some questions. Who am I? What is my purpose in life? Where am I headed? How does my upbringing and my personality type and my trauma play into how I behave, how I engage with the world? What prejudices do I carry into my thought patterns? And if we are to truly understand ourselves, we need need to know who we are in relationship to God. Because he is the one who defines who we are. He is the one that shines a light on our purpose and our destiny. And our our lives only make sense in reference to God. So there's normative knowledge. There is existential knowledge. And then there is situational knowledge. Situational knowledge is the knowledge of the world. This is knowledge of creation, what you see with your eyes. There's knowledge of God's mighty deeds in history and the law of God, which has been made known through the Bible and through his works. And here I want to focus on this type of knowledge, this this uh, situational knowledge. And so is Moses. Moses is telling his people, this is a situation. This is what's happening as you consider God, as you consider your place before God. Moses recounts what God has done for his people. And Moses speaks of God's works because he wants the Israelites to know in their bones, not just in their heads. He wants them to know in in their marrow, in their bones, that this is what God is like. This is what he has done for you. He's revealed himself to you. He's done these things for you. You should know these things and you must know these things. Until God speaks and until God acts, until you witness those Until those sink into your bones, you're just going to have a theoretical God. 
but the God of Israel is real, Moses is telling his people. Yahweh is real, and if he is, then he, you must obey him. And here we have to ask ourselves a question. How do we know that he is real in our own lives? How do we know that he's not some concept that we've made up to comfort ourselves or to make sense of what we can't explain? I think today's passage gives us uh, a part of the answer at least. And it's to look at what God has done in your own life and what he's done in the lives of those around you. It's not enough for us to read the scriptures coldly. It's not enough for us to show up on Sundays or to watch the live stream. We need to know God in a way where we can say we've experienced him, where we can say that I've watched his hand move. Um, One way to think about this uh, is, let's say that if you're in the process of looking for a romantic partner, one that you'll eventually marry, What's your process going to be? Let's say that you look at the various dating profiles and you can see the pictures of this person. You can see their vital stats, they, what they say their hobbies are, what their hopes and dreams and values are, what, they, what they're interested in. Um, and if you were to just see that, would you marry that person? Even if that person looked perfect on paper, would you marry that person? That would be really dumb of you because you haven't experienced that person You'd have to see what they were really like, not what their profile says, not what they claim to be or what what they claim to do. You have to see them in real life. How do they engage and interact with other people? What do they do when they're provoked? Are they kind? How do they spend their time and money? What do they do when there's nothing on their agenda or schedule? What do they do when they're bored? And when you witness a person like that, then you can say that you know the person and then you can decide whether or not you want to marry them. And so it is with God. We can read about him, but if you really want to know him, you need to look at what he does. So here Moses is is speaking to the Israelites and they're aware of what gods are like, this lowercase g God, because they came from a culture where polytheism was practiced there were countless gods for people to worship there were gods to help with the crops gods to help with their animals gods and goddesses to help with fertility gods to help them in battle goddesses who warded off diseases gods and goddesses who personified mountains and hills and uh, trees and lakes of and bodies of water gods who control the wind and you could go on and on and on and moses is saying You do not have multiple gods to look at. You have one God to look at. And this one God has worked on your behalf all this time. Moses is showing his people that they have a unique revelation given by unique God who has worked uniquely on their behalf. It was one God who showed himself and his power to his people. And this is always in the backdrop, this idea that God has redeemed you from slavery. You're no no longer enslaved to this culture, this uh, society, um, to this nation who who has you under their thumb with all their multiple gods. One God has rescued you. One God has been enough for you. 
So this is the recounting of their story in Deuteronomy 4. And it's not just their story. The God who rescued and saved and made promises to the Israelites is the same God who's gathered us here today at San Felipe Park. And I know it's really easy to look at today's passage and think in terms of the Israelites. But what about us? For the next several moments, I'm going to read through these verses again. And I want you to think about how they apply to you. How has God worked on your behalf? How has God revealed himself to you? Or is he some theoretical God? Verse 32-33. Did any people ever hear the voice of a God speaking out of the midst of fire as you have heard and still live. God speaks to his people. Do you know that God has been speaking to you and he speaks with out of the fire? What does fire do? Fire destroys and fire purifies. Have you been in the fire of God? Has he hurt you? But have you come out alive? Have you been traumatized? Have you been confronted by the fire of God? Verse 34, has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation? And then look at what God has done for the Israelites by trials, by signs, by wonders, and by war, and by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, by great deeds of terror. The Lord God did this for you in Egypt before your eyes. Look at what God is doing to his people. He says, I'm taking them out of this nation and now they belong to me. This is what we talked about two weeks ago. We belong to the Lord. God has made us his own and God has done all these things to make sure that you belong to him. And what has God rescued you from? Has God rescued you from an addiction has God rescued you from futility? Has God rescued you from the Bay Area upper middle class dream? Has God rescued you from your mistakes? Where would you be? Where would you be if Jesus did not rescue you? Who would you belong to if you did not belong to God? Because you're going to belong to something. And you're going to end up serving that something, whether or not it's God. What situations seemed impossible that God took you out of? Verse 35, to you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God. There is no other beside him. In your moments of distress, what have you turned to? That failed you? What experience left you unfulfilled? Which people have let you down? What substance promised relief? Or what TV show? Or what band? Or what experience promised relief but ultimately made you feel worse? 
what product did you purchase in hopes that you'd be cured of your boredom but soon lost its luster? To you it was shown that the Lord is God. There is no other beside him. When did you realize that there is no God but the Lord? That only he can fulfill your desires. That only he can rescue you. That he's worthy of your attention and your affections. Verse 36. Out of heaven he let you hear his voice that he might discipline you. And on earth he let you see his great fire and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. Look at this word discipline. Has God ever made life difficult for you? Has God ever put you in a trial? Has God ever corrected you and challenged you? This is discipline. And there's a passage in the New Testament that says that God disciplines those he loves. If you're going through pain right now, if you're going through uncertainty, maybe this is the work of God. Not because he hates you, but because he loves you. God disciplines his children for their good. Even the pain in your life is evidence of the greatness of God. Verse 37, Moses summarizes the, the, the past of Israel and what God has done. He loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them and brought you out of Egypt. He drove out the nations that were greater than you. And he, he's giving to you a land for your inheritance. And know therefore, lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and earth and on the earth beneath, there is no other. What has God done in the past? He chose Israel. He rescued Israel. In the past, God personally brought his people out of the land of slavery. And then there's this future aspect in this passage. He will drive out greater and stronger nations. Israel, you're puny. You're weak. I'm going to drive out nations that could destroy you, if not for me. This is what I'm going to do. And then God says he will deliver the land of these other nations to the Israelites. And this is going to be their inheritance. And I want to look at um, a couple of the verses right here. Actually, just one verse. Verse 37. God says that he loved your fathers. This Hebrew word for love is ahab. Ahab. And this word carries with it this idea of covenant commitment. And it's demonstrated in the actions that serve the interests of this other party, the Israelites. And this statement is revolutionary when he says that there is this love that God has for his people. Because the idea of love is absent is absent from this idea of, of all these other gods, these, the, this polytheistic culture. These gods would help you. These gods would provide for you if you serve them, but they would not love you. And this is the difference between the God of Israel and all the other gods. This idea of a love that is set upon God's people. And this is where we get this idea of covenant. This is what Pastor Michael spoke about last week. God has made a covenant with his people. This is what sets apart 
God himself from every other God, that God loves you. He's committed to you, not just in the past, but in the future. There is a past and future tense in this passage. It's saying this, that God has shown his love and care and faithfulness to his people. He's done it. And he's going to do it again. He's going to do it again. The Israelites eventually do enter the promised land. But this passage is about so much more than that. There's something greater than the promised land that the Israelites have. And it's what God has given us and is continuing to give us right now. 1,200 years later, God would again demonstrate his love for his people. And this is the good news. That God has rescued us out of slavery to sin. He rescued us from death. And he did that through Jesus. And this is the gospel. That although we have rebelled against God... His Ahab love is still set upon us. God still has made a covenant that he promises to keep. Despite your sins, if you look to Christ, if you repent, if you ask for forgiveness, God will forgive. And he doesn't just forgive, he gives us all good things. Because on the cross, Jesus received the punishment for our sins and we will never pay those punishments pay the penalty, will never be condemned. Christ has paid it all. And there's this beautiful passage in Romans 8, 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? How can God say that he has rescued us, that he's worked in our behalf? Not just that he has, but that he will. It's through the work, the life, the death, and resurrection of Jesus. This is how God can keep these promises. Because he has given us Christ, he will give us all other things that are necessary for us. All other things that are for our good. And if this is true, how shall we live? If Christ has died for you, if he has shown his love for you, if your life is no longer a life of futility, then how shall you live? Here's this passage again, verse 39. Moses says to the people of God, Know therefore today, and lay it to your heart. This is our second point, by the way, response of God's people. Verse 39, Know therefore today and lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. There is no other. How do you respond when God has treated you with such kindness? The answer is this, we lay it on our hearts. What do we lay on our hearts? This fact that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath, there is no other. Lay it on your heart that there is no other God. Not on the earth below, not in heaven above, not to your right or to your left, not on your laptop or on your phone, not in that other person. There is no other God besides the Lord God. 
And therefore, if that's true, lay it on your hearts. This is how we respond to what God has done. When we talk about the hearts, we think in terms of your affections. How do you know that you love someone? If you have love for someone in your heart, it's going to spill out in the way that you, you treat them, in the way that you talk to them. How do we respond to the love of God? We lay it to our hearts. We say, this is what I'm going to make central to how I think. This is how we, what I'm going to make central to what I love. This is going to define how I, where I go in my life, the people that, that I interact with, the social media that I feed myself. I'm going to lay it to my heart, the central part of me. This belongs to the Lord God. I mentioned John Frame earlier, and um, he's an epistemologist. Epistemology is the study of knowing. How do you know what you know? How do you know that you know what you know? That's epistemology. And uh, this is what he says about what knowing ultimately is. How do you know that something is true? It's by what you do with your life. That is going to show whether or not you believe it's true. What you do reflects what you know and love. So IGC, what makes up the foundation of your life? What do you think about the most? And how will you respond? I'm going to end with this uh, extended summary or rewriting of this passage in Deuteronomy by a commentator by the name of Daniel Block. And he rewrote this passage for those of us who are in Christ. If you are a believer in Christ, if you're exploring uh, the truths of Christianity, this is Deuteronomy 4 in the context of the cross and what Christ has done for us. So I'm going to end with this. I'm going to read it a little bit slower. Think about it, meditate it, and respond. Ask now of the days that are past, which were before you since the day that God created humankind on earth, and ask from one end of heaven to the other whether such a great thing has, as this has ever happened or was ever heard of. Did any people ever encounter their gods directly as you have encountered him through Christ Jesus and still live? Or has any God ever dared to invade the kingdom of darkness and take for himself a people from the midst of that kingdom by trials, by signs, by wonders, and by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and by great deeds of terror, all of which Jesus Christ your God has done for you on the cross before your eyes? To you it was shown that you might know that Jesus Christ is Yahweh, the Lord. There is no other beside him. Out of heaven he came as the divine word, John 1, that he might reveal the Father to you. And on earth he revealed his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. 
And he loved the ancestors and chose their spiritual offspring after them and brought you out of the kingdom of darkness by his great power, disarming rulers and authorities and putting them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. In order to grant us an inheritance, since we have been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. This is what God did for you and continues to do. Know therefore today and lay it on your heart that Jesus Christ is Yahweh. He is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. There is no other beside Jesus. Therefore walk in a manner worthy of Jesus Christ the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, and giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. The Lord alone is God. The Lord alone is foundational to your existence. Your life does not make sense apart from Him. Stop being self-referential. You do not belong to yourself. You belong to God and therefore you owe Him your total allegiance. Obey Him. Obey God because you were, you were redeemed to know Him. And only by obedience will you know him fully. Obey because you were rescued from slavery to sin. And your freedom looks like turning away from sin and living for your rescuer. Obey because it's by your obedience that you will experience the fullness of God's promises to you. Obey because two milliseconds after your death, you will realize that it was worth it. That every act of obedience, every act of sacrifice was completely worth it. Obey because there is no other God, no other idol, no other company, no other person, no other organization worthy of your absolute allegiance. Obey because Jesus Christ is the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful that we don't pray to 10,000 gods. We're thankful that we don't pray to 10 gods. We're thankful that we don't pray even to two gods. We pray to one God. You alone are God. You alone are worthy of our attention and our affection and our allegiance. And I pray that what is spoken of today in Deuteronomy would sink into our hearts, that we would know you through Christ Jesus and that our lives would be a, a response to that truth, God. Make this true of us. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our rescuer and redeemer. Amen.